When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This week's episode is brought to you by Madison Reed. If you color your hair in a salon or touch up your roots to extend your time between salon visits, this will be a revolutionary time and money-saving solution for you. No more losing a whole afternoon just to have your roots touched up. Meet Madison Reed. It's luxurious at-home salon-quality hair color with ingredients you can feel good about. From color matching, selecting your most flattering shade and access to professional colorists via phone, text, or email, Madison Reed has thought of everything to make the at-home hair coloring experience easier than ever. Find your perfect shade at madison-reed, that's R-E-E-D, dot com, and get 10% off plus free shipping on your first color kit using the code BOOKRIOT. That's madison-reed.com, and the offer code is BOOKRIOT. <laughs> This is the Book Riot Podcast, a weekly news and talk show about what's new, cool, and worth talking about in the world of books and reading. This episode 192, we're recording on Saturday, January 14th. I'm Jeff O'Neill. I'm here with Rebecca Shinsky, and we're coming to you from bookriot.com. <clears throat> we're recording on a Saturday because, and you, if you've been following the weather in the North American area recently, you know that the Northwest, Portland in particular, got a... Uh, unusual amount of snow. Wasn't it record-breaking? Uh, the 10th large, it was the 8th largest snow since 1940. Oh, goodness. Here in Portland. School's been out for three days. Uh, I, I haven't been out of the house except to uh, maintain and or play or frolic in the snow with or without children. Uh, a little punchy. I got a little frog in my throat, but here we are. Uh, it's, 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 we're in the middle of winter. There's no doubt about it. Um, and so here we are. So hi, Rebecca. How are you? Hey, I'm I'm good. It's a little, you know, I got three hours advantage on you with this uh, because that's how time zones work. Yeah, uh, right. So it's Saturday afternoon for me. I have yoga. We had snow earlier this week uh, and Richmond was shut down for several days. Uh, so I was, you know, out in the world eventually seeing people with that feral look in their eyes of like my children mm-hmm. have been home for three days. Uh, but I, I'm feeling I'm pretty good. I like these Saturday morning recordings. We've had more of them lately and it has a, yeah. has a nice feeling to it well i mean when i we've had eight snow days <laughs> here and in portland <laughs> we're and, just gonna uh, like relocate book riot to the planet hoff yeah i guess so i, my, my, I got my uh, carved tauntaun that i slip into <laughs> at night to uh, take care of myself so anyway we're, we're back um we have got, we've got an interesting show for you today um why don't you tell us about our first sponsor we got that we don't really have any short follow-ups we got to go right to our first we sponsor do, before we yeah. get anything else uh so third love is our first sponsor this week they are back uh, i think this is a perfect time to talk about third love you should resolve in the new year if you are a bra wearing person to get bras that are the right size this is important because being comfortable matters women's bra sizes change on average six times in their lives we go through you know 
know, all kinds of changes that can affect our bodies. So finding the perfect fitting bra can make all the difference and getting measured regularly can also make all the difference. Third Love bras were developed using thousands of real women's measurements. They range in sizes from double A to G cup and they include signature half cup sizes. So you're in between a B and a C, no big deal. You can be a B and a half. They've got you covered. No matter your body shape, you are sure to find a fit that's right for you. And Third Love has a fit finder that only takes 30 seconds to determine the best size and style for your body. I have used this. I was wearing the wrong size bras about a year ago. I can tell you it does make a difference. Don't wait. Say goodbye to slipping straps, side overflow, bulging cups, that sort of like roll you get behind when the bra's the wrong size. And try Third Love today. Third Love stands behind their products so much that they're willing to let our listeners try a bra from the 24-7 collection for free. You just pay $2.99 for shipping. You take the tags off. You wear it. You wash it. You live with this bra the way that you live with the ones you have now that probably aren't the right size. You make sure it's your new favorite. If you love it, you keep it. They charge your card. If you don't love it, you can send it back for free and your card will not be charged. So you're going to go to thirdlove.com slash bookriot to get started today. That's thirdlove.com dot com slash book riot. One of the predictions we were talking about a couple weeks ago for twenty seventeen is would this be the year that the is it sixth book? Um neither you and I are uh Song of Ice and Fire devotees. So I we can't don't even keep track. Keep track. Six <clears throat> I think seven. I think it's six. It's called Winds of Winter, the next installment at least of Song of Ice and Fire, the George R. R. Martin series. Uh probably better known to the cultural world at large as the Game of Thrones series. Um, I, I suggested I thought it would be out this year. Uh, Martin wrote on his blog this week, he thinks it's going to be this year. Um, he, th- he said he thought the same thing last year, but he's a little <laughs> bit more confident now. Um, so there you go. I mean, I don't know what to say, uh, except that we, th- we think this year. I get, the, one, one problem that, you know, of this new world of uh, being connected to authors and fans presents is something like this, right? Mm-hmm. Where, especially if you're in a series, I know Patrick Rothfuss is also dealing with this because the third installment of his King Killer Chronicle is is hotly anticipated um, by yours truly as well. And, you know, he's on Twitter. Martin has a, Martin's more active on his blog than on Twitter, but Rothfuss is on Twitter. And so, of course, the question readers have is, when is it coming? I mean, it, it makes sense, right? And mm-hmm. individually, it's not a nefarious or, you know, obtrusive question for oh, any but one person. But collect, it's, sort of a, it's sort of a cons categorical imperative here, right? Like, right. if every single fan asks, it, it's a deluge. It's sort of a, a, an oppressive maw of anticipation that it's very difficult for them to deal with. So this is one of these blowback situations. On the one hand, it's great. Author, you know, fans get to know authors, authors get to hear from fans and establish these really close connections that in turn only heighten the anticipation fans have for the book. So I feel, I feel very, I, I, bad is the wrong term because we should all be so lucky that we have thousands, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of people awaiting our next artistic output. But here, it's just it's it's difficult. And Martin, who himself has admitted admitted, makes it sound like it's some sort of confession or crime. Acknowledged, acknowledged that writing for him is a struggle, um, more so than maybe for mo- your average writer, professional writer. That it comes in fits and spurts. Not to mention, these books are titanically large and complicated, which I can only imagine makes it even harder sledding when things aren't going well. So anyway, this is so. This is a way, I guess, he's trying to. 
I guess, ameliorate, soothe yeah, the, the, the I guess crowding masses. It's probably like, well, maybe if I just write this every now and then, like the book isn't ready yet. Books don't come out of nowhere. I have to make them. It's not always easy. It's coming eventually. Mm-hmm. Sit down. You know, <laughs> like, right. maybe that's that's helpful because I do feel like it really is a push me, pull you situation for these authors that it's great, as you were saying, for them to have so much success and have these fans that are clamoring for the next one. But the amount of pressure that that must put on them has to just really be incredible to feel and not in a positive way. Yeah, and can't, I would, it can't feel good. Yeah, yeah. And I would imagine that the temptation is strong to just, you know, finish the thing and write it and put it out in the world and not worry too much because you kind of can. Like, you know, there was some speculation. I can't even remember which YA series it was now about how quickly one of the series was ending because the author just like wanted to get that third one out there and sell it and make that like you know end of the trilogy money and that people will take it and be happy with it because it's the third book that they've been Mm. waiting for and i don't think that's fully true like if george r r martin cranks out this book and it's crappy fans will call him out on that but they will have already bought the book Yeah, and I do. I do really respect that uh, that he's you know that he's even engaging with these fans that are so that are demanding, uh, and that he is sitting with doing the work. Like I have a lot of respect for that. He doesn't need the money at this point. No. Um, no. But that he's sitting with wanting to do it well and in a way that he feels good about and that he's acknowledging even when you are George R.R. R. Martin and you've written these books that have become huge, it doesn't make it any easier if you're trying to just like to do the job that you want to have done. So I, I respect that because I do think, I mean, he must like he's got to lay awake at night sometimes like what if I just wrote this ending and turned it in and sold the thing and then it would be yeah. I My sense of him is there's a fealty to the fan desire that's part of it but i I do from and again i follow a little even though i don't follow series i think he's an interesting guy Mm -hmm. just in general i do think he has a devote uh devotion to the work that is uh, apart from you know in addition to and apart from the serving the fans and serving the audience so i'm not sure i can imagine that there are certainly days like i wish this was just done that Mm -hmm. that's certainly the case but it doesn't seem to me like the kind of guy that would be tempted to quote unquote mail it in uh, just to just to get it done, but it does seem like it is now a ritual for a couple years. Um, right. Like the swallows back to Capistrano for Martin to release a statement that probably this you know probably this year um, we'll see. I mean, yeah, it's got to come out sometime. It can't be well. It can be forever. I shouldn't say that. Yeah. Um, but it, it feels like it is closer. Um, and that January of last year, he was hoping for by Halloween would be his deadline. Mm-hmm. And then the book could still come out. So what one thing we sort of have a glimpse of is that as soon as the manuscript is in, they're not going to do this two years of whatever yeah, business. Right. Um, they probably they have the title. They probably have the cover. Um, all they need is the, the words. And maybe hundreds of pages of it have been uh, proofread. And yeah, types we don't know. I, I don't even know. We have no idea how it could be they're waiting for the last 50 pages. And once those are locked, they can take them to the printer and off we go. Because you certainly don't need a long buzz building campaign or anything right. like that. <laughs> You've got um, it because it's taken so long to get it out there. Well, that is, I mean, you do, like we've said, when you get these glimpses of like Ghost at a Watchman, Harry Potter and the Cursed Child, like if it wants to, publishing can turn these things around. Um, Martin probably is not being story edited by a junior assistant, you know, that's, you know, like a debut novelist or something like that might be, he's not being dealt with a, so anyway, he skipped a lot of steps to the head, but you can see that 
it can be done where you know manuscript to shelf can be a few months maybe even shorter mm-hmm. uh, we have the technology we uh, do and i i wonder like if the publisher has any sort of consultation when he's going to write a blog post like this, like, Oh, that's interesting. Is he giving them just like a courtesy heads up of like, by the way, I'm going to tell my blog fans, which is a bajillion people that I think the book will be out this year. Um, is it a more strategic conversation where he, where like they all know maybe behind the scenes that the book is almost done and it is going to come out this year and he's introducing it this way. Like, I'm curious about sort of what the process is. Cause I, I can imagine it goes either of those ways that like he's George R.R. R. Martin, he can tell people whatever he wants. Uh, but he's also George R.R. R. Martin and he's been very successful and is not without business savvy uh, and could have discussed this with his publisher and they could be talking about the timing. Like this could be the beginning of the thing instead of a big, mm-hmm. pre, you know, pre-order period. Um, it could be the beginning of the watching. Um, I don't know. I'm interested in like, I was just wondering. So I'm wondering about yeah. it out loud at you. Cause that's what we do here. <laughs> yeah. I'm wondering too. I mean, I certainly, I don't think we're now in an any day situation because if we're in an any day situation, I don't think he makes this statement. Oh, that could yeah, be like no. next week, right? So right. I'd say maybe uh, yellow alert for those of you really, really anticipating maybe March, April, right? Yeah. That would be the time again where maybe it seems a possibility because this, as much as anything, probably buys him a little bit of reprieve, right? A couple months, be like, okay, he said something probably this year. I'm not, but once you get into April, May, June, we're well into 2017 mm-hmm. now. You said probably this year. Now what? Now what? Now what? It, the, the 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 murmurs will grow into uh, a cacophony by then. Um, okay, uh, more more news. This is scribbed again. Boy, these guys kind of just can't get out of their way. I mean, I don't think they're doing anything nefarious or, or wrong mm-hmm. necessarily. Um, it's a service we at one time have really liked, and I still like in a lot of ways. But the, it's such a shifting sand. I'm talking about scribbed here. Um, which is the reading subscription service that when it first launched seemed too good to be true and turned out that it was because it was <laughs> funny how that works. Funny how that works. Unlimited audiobooks, unlimited ebooks, unlimited comics. Um, again, not everything, but what was there you could read to your heart's uh, delight. Um, and then, then they went back to basically, uh, without getting into it, because I actually don't know what the status of the, the audiobook situation, but basically a metered audiobook situation where there's a couple mm-hmm. different pools you can draw from. Pool A is unlimited, and then pool B, you redeem your monthly credit or something like that. Okay, fine, whatever. Um, you know, anytime you deprecate and make this make the make the value proposition worse, I think is very difficult. You'd rather go the other way. Right. Start with more of a minimum viable product and build out. I think they made the other mistake of promising too much and then taking away. Mm-hmm. Much better to add. Because like if you'd started out with just ebooks unlimited and here's our set and then added also your 999 gets you an audiobook credit yeah, if, great yeah right. right if you if you start out with your tutu on and your glitter and everything's yeah. fancy it's really difficult to be like oh well you know actually you don't get the glitter anymore uh and it's oh and i buried the lead i'm so sorry they're taking away comics yeah. i didn't even mention what was going on there. they're <laughs> yeah, taking away comics and graphic novels there's just not gonna be part of the service yeah, anymore. They i'm sorry to the comics category that. in early 2015 yeah. um with they had 10,000 titles. And so it ran through 2015 and 2016. Uh, this Publishers Weekly piece says it looks like they ended the comic service sometime in December 2016. And then Scribd confirmed that they had. So there was no outgoing statement from Scribd announcing that this was going to be 
ending. Um, mm. Oh, actually, no, it's I'm that's wrong. It says they alerted comic readers of the news via email in early December. Um, so what's really interesting to me about this piece is that there's some contradictory statements. Um, when they launched the comic subscription category, Scribd called it explosive and said it was the biggest response and fastest adoption we've seen, which maybe was true. Um, yep. But they're saying that the reason that they're ending it is that few of the readers actively took advantage of the comics that were in the service, Um, which is, if that is true, then it is the opposite of what happened with like Oyster and with, uh, with Oyster shuttering and with Scribd uh, really cutting back on uh, romance on, and on particular categories. Like and the, audiobooks too, I think, is yeah, what we like understood, right? The diehard romance reader is in many ways, as we've talked about exhaustively on this show, the ideal uh, consumer for a product like this because they're willing to pay for the all-you-can-eat because they can eat so much. Uh, and they just gutted these services that uh, were having to pay tons of licensing for the uh, huge quantity of books uh, that were being consumed by, you know, diehard genre readers. I kind of suspected that that could happen with comics because comics fans are also voracious. Comics are quick. um, So you can read a whole lot of them. Um, So I was scanning through this piece the first time, expecting that to be the thing of like, people were reading too many comics. We can't afford it. Uh, And they're saying actually that they weren't reading enough to make it Mm -hmm. worth Uh, maintaining that side of the business. So I wonder sort of how that shook out. I believe that it's entirely possible that it was a huge and fast adoption for them. And then people were just like, oh, this is not the reading experience that I want for comics. Um, Mm -hmm. They also have a lot of competition. There's Marvel Unlimited. Uh, Comixology has a bunch of subscription options. I think you can access some comics in Kindle Unlimited. Um, Mm -hmm. So maybe it was just too hard to, to be, you know, the best option for people. Yeah, I, th- I think that's right. I mean, <clears throat> Comixology is the 900-pound gorilla of the comics subscription space. Um, they're the Netflix. Mm-hmm. And I think Scribd is trying to figure out how to be the Hulu, right? Yeah. Um, and what the right mix is. Hulu, what they've done is they've been really good about a couple of their partners getting like, you, you know, only, you know, what's that? The Mindy Project is Hulu only. The Handmaid's yeah. Tale, mm-hmm. which um, people are excited <laughs> about, is a that's Hulu only thing. That's going to be the thing that breaks me. <laughs> <clears throat> yeah, I, it seems I, uh, I posted the trailer over last weekend, and a lot of people are saying, well, I guess I'm getting Hulu now, yep. which is interesting. And Netflix itself, where Script has made no inroads into original content of every of any kind, uh, to my knowledge, I should say. Um, and so how do you differentiate between Comixology and Script when the diehard comics reader can get more for their subscription dollar at Comixology? And the more casual comics reader on Scribd doesn't appear to be actually reading any comics. Difficult. It's a tricky situation. And, I, and again, kind of like with Martin, I empathize with the difficulty of the situation. Um, but boy, is it too bad that they can't... The, 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 I mean, at this point, if you're a Scribd subscriber, it's difficult to have confidence that the product you're going to be... That you are enjoying now, assuming that you are enjoying it, is going to be what the product can be in the future. Yeah, um, I think I would have a real hard time as a Scribd subscriber continuing to pay money every month for something of like, well, this is what it is today, but what is it going to be tomorrow? Yeah, yeah, that, that's that's fair. Um, we don't know anything about, to this point, about how Kindle Unlimited is doing, the, the all-you-can-read subscription service from Amazon. Um, I've looked, I look from time to time at the categories of, bo- the catalog, excuse me, of both Scribd and Amazon, 
a script I think has a better category uh, catalog mm-hmm. of ebooks at least. Um, but it's hard to it's hard to compete with Amazon and you know Kindle Unlimited could be one of those things where it's it is the gorilla. You know that wouldn't surprise me in the least. Um, that is it becomes the dominant player. Um, I, and I feel like Scribd had a shot to do that, and maybe they still do. I don't know. We don't we don't know numbers because neither Amazon, or excuse me, Kindle Unlimited or Scribd gives us any numbers that mean anything. It's all relative. Um, and we so is there is there a category? I guess that's the question everyone's mm-hmm. asking. Is there a category here? Right. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. Audible has proven that you can have memberships that work around audiobooks, but maybe you have to atomize the service. Maybe it's either audiobooks or ebooks only or comics. Like maybe that's the way to go. And someone who reads a lot of comics will subscribe to a comics niche subscription service. Someone who reads a lot of ebooks will do ebooks. And then someone who will do, you know, audiobooks will do that. And you pick what your favorite format is. And that becomes your service. And then you fill in the rest of your reading life a la carte mm-hmm. from, you know, the world of books and reading. Um, that seems to me a, a situation that would make sense. Because um, unlike Netflix, you do have these weird format wars that happen. Yeah. And really DVDs, which is the physical, equi- you know, that's the equivalent of the paperback, hardback product in publishing, that has fallen off a cliff in a way that print books just haven't. So that, you know, that's the way most people are still are buying the books and yet can't be the primary part of a subscription service. <laughs> right, so like, right. that's weird, right? Like you're just, it you're is. just picking up the crumbs of the industry. Mm-hmm. Even eBooks, which are what, 30% or 26% last year. Yeah. Seems to me hard to have a business around that. But anyway, and we know, as you said, romance, genre, self-public, how, how much of that 30% fall into those yeah, categories, which aren't really in these script yeah, services? These subscription services are just in such a double bind because the yeah. reader that they need is the reader who is so voracious that all you can eat makes sense for them. Right. But those all you can eat, at least the business models, like the thing we haven't talked about on this episode yet is that the business model sort of that the subscription services are forced into is to deal with how the publishers feel comfortable mm-hmm. licensing ebooks for this. And we know both from statements that they've made publicly and from all kinds of things that we've heard in meetings and on back channels that publishers don't want these subscription services mm-hmm. to exist or to be successful. Like, I don't think that anyone has really, we didn't see, even with Oyster at its prime, we didn't see a publisher really enter into it in a, you know, full-throated, let's conduct an experiment kind mm-hmm. of way. Um, it was, the participation, I think, was reluctant for th- those who did participate. And Penguin Random House had just straight up said they were never going to participate in an ebook subscription service. It behooves the publishers to keep in, you know, cement the value of hardcover books in particular, um, but print in general. And so they like these experiments as these subscription services were, in my opinion, never really had a chance to fully, to fully be an experiment and to thrive. Like if you're, if you're a publisher and you're tossing 30 titles into a service like this, as like, we'll test this out and see what happens. That's not a big enough data set to make decisions about. It's just enough to have said, well, we tried the thing. Like, pat us on the back because we tried the thing. We tried it, and now we've concluded that we don't like it because we had mm-hmm. concluded before we even started that we weren't going to like it. Um, and so it's just – they're stuck. These subscription services can only get the deals that the publishers are willing to make with them, mm-hmm. and those deals – 
are just the biggest catch 22 that they can't serve the kind of reader who is most likely to buy a service like this. And it makes sense. I mean, even if even if publishing was all in on ebooks, say, and yeah. they were doing the thing we we sort of think makes the most sense of 9.99 for a, you know, a frontless new release title on ebook, that's one month of script. Mm-hmm. So I mean, I don't know how you get around that that in a way that makes any kind of sense. Um I'd like to, I don't know as much about how, say, the Hollywood, you know, uh, moving image, talkies, we call them, uh, industry <laughs> feels about them? Netflix, right? Because <laughs> you see, I mean, I just looked, Marvel's, uh, Cap- or, excuse me, Captain America Civil War, big, you know, one of the biggest, maybe the biggest grossing movie of 2016, I think, is streaming on Netflix now. So they're clearly, they think there's some value to it. But I think what Hollywood does is they capture a lot of the value in the theaters and in the, like the first few months of DVD, mm-hmm. right? Or, or digital download where you have to buy it. And by the time they make it available on Netflix, like it's the tail end of the value proposition, um, you know, at least for the, the front end of, of movies. Where the books, you know, there is no, the hardback is the theater. Like that's the, that's the equivalent of going to the theater. Right. But there's something about going to the theater that's a lot different than the value proposition of buying a hardback versus buying, you know, subscribing nine ninety nine and reading anything you want. It's just, it, there's too much of a delta or a margin loss to do one versus the other where the theater is still, you know, Disney did $7 billion in box office this year, the biggest year ever for a studio. I mean, you get Force Awakens and you mm-hmm. get some, you know, they have big movies, but still, um, it's a different thing than what can be offered here. And, and you see, you're right about romance. Like, this is the, an ideal product like this is ideal for consumers. It's just not clear at this point that there is some workable v- product for the vendor, Right. That makes any kind of sense. Yeah, you can um, identify the ideal customer for these businesses, yeah. but the business model to, that makes it possible to serve that customer has not been. Nobody's nailed that down yet. No, no one's figured it out, and they they have to contend with um, the big boys, the publishers mm-hmm. who control the content. And if you don't have the content, it's very difficult to go from there. Um, you know, something we used to follow quite a bit that we don't follow much anymore, but certainly worth talking about now we're moving on stories. Mm-hmm. It's the 2017 Tournament of Books. Um, I know a lot of you out there follow this closely. We've I followed it closely for a long time. Um, less so now. I guess we can talk about that in a minute. But the short list is out. This is the, if you haven't heard of this, the Morning News runs this. And it's it's a tournament where books are paired off against each other and then a judge from each one decides who the winner is. And for all the idiot, you know, there is no stated criteria. Um, it's just whichever book that judge likes between the two advances, and then eventually a winner is crowned. Um, you know, the 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 finalists this year: The Underground Railroad, Colson Whitehead; Black Wave by Michelle T; uh, My Name Is Lucy Barton by Elizabeth Strout; Mister Monkey by Francine Prose; Grief Is the Thing with Feathers by Max Porter. Version Control by Dexter Palmer, The Sport of Kings by C.E. Morgan, Sweet Lamb of Heaven by Lydia, did you say Millet or Millet? Do you know? Millet. Millet. Um, High Dive by Jonathan Lee, and that's it. And you Mm -hmm. can go, and then audience participation at this level, there's not much except for commentary, but you can vote because at one point, one of them gets a to be revived. Mm -hmm. Um, And later in the tournament, if it loses, then the one that gets the most reader votes will be revived um, to, to, to fight on. You know, this is one that's usually you can predict, mm-hmm. actually. Um, you, may n- it's, it's, you may not know who's going to survive into the early rounds because there's some things going on, but 
usually this one's predictable. Um, oh, I didn't get, did I say the mothers? Brett Bennett, Moonglow? Oh, yeah, I, 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 I stopped at the ad. Mm-hmm. Michael Shaben, uh, Sudden Death by Alvaro Enrique. Uh, and the throwback special by Chris Bachelor, Batch Elder, excuse me. And then All the Birds in the Sky by Charlie Jane Anders. I stopped when I hit a huge ad that I mistook for the end of the article. <laughs> um, I mean, this is the Underground Railroad's Toulouse, right? I mean, that's kind of where we are. Yeah, I think. it's hard to imagine. And I, I, this is included in This Week in Books this week. And I think the thing that I said about it is it's hard to imagine any other book winning. Mm-hmm. But because the rooster is so can be so idiosyncratic like it, uh, some of it does depend always on who ends up judging those rounds and yep. what like what mood they were in the day that they read <clears throat> the book and i have seen some folks say you know like i wish that the magical realism element of the novel with the like literal railroad had been more fully developed like there's okay. some people who do have some quibbles sure about the we are humans railroad. and book nerds we, we got quibbles in yeah, spades yeah right so if you get a judge who who has Colson Whitehead quibbles, like mm-hmm. it could get knocked out. Um, I think it's going to be the zombie. Like this book yeah. is not like, so if it makes it to the final round and doesn't win, it'll be, you know, it's going to have two swings at the, at the yeah, plate. It's going to sure. be someone's idiosyncratic preference um, about that, but it's really difficult. Like great books in this lineup, but it's just tough to think, um, to think that anybody's going to, and the zombie you can usually pick by just which one sold the most. And right. the, the the Underground Railroad, I think, has sold the most out of any of these. In terms of dark horses, to use racing parlance, um, you know, even just, even just, I'm not on my mic, even <laughs> just following Book Riot back channel talk, you know, The Mothers, I think, mm-hmm. is one to look at. Boy, after that, maybe The Vegetarian. Um, maybe. I've heard some interesting things about. Um, Homegoing by Yad Jesse, maybe. Yeah, after that, I think I think it's tough. Yeah. In terms of brand names, you have the Shaben, which the Moonglow has gotten mm-hmm. pretty good reviews. But not um, like a, just, not, just not a ton. I, of I just don't buzz. think it's. And so it does like. No. What's interesting, you know, this is a more inclusive list than we've seen in the past um, from yep. the Tournament of Books. I'm happy to see that the judging panel uh, is pretty varied and inclusive, and so it will be interesting to see. Like you have a good, you have, I think, an interesting mix on this judging panel of. Like writers who might be drawn to the critical darlings or the like, this is very literary and people who are more uh, sort of associated with and attuned to like books as parts of pop culture um, or Internet culture. And those folks are going to be drawn to different kinds of reading than what the critical Mm -hmm. darlings are Um, or they might be. So some of it, too, will be like, how does it shake out in the early rounds um, that mix between the early round judges of the folks that are going to sort of favor the critical darlings and the people that are going to be interested in like the stuff that was popular or that was widely read because it was so good, uh, how, how that's all going to mm-hmm. work out. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's just hard to imagine anybody picking anything over Colson Whitehead this year. I don't know. Like these, there's great books on this. Yeah. List, I don't know it's, either. That's, it's going to be tough. Um, I haven't gotten to the sport of Kings by CE Morgan. I'm really looking forward to that. I'm not talking about things that I think could win. I, um, read her debut novel, which was fantastic. This is a big, long novel about horse racing, which I'm, I kind of like uh, horse racing as, an, as sort of an idea rather than something I actually watch. So that one's I'm interested in. I've heard good things about De- mm-hmm. uh, version control by yeah, Dexter that's Palmer. List. That's on my some yeah. someday read list. One that, you know, interestingly could be a dark, you know, I think a contender, 
if the if the Underground Railroad doesn't win, then there's a whole bunch mm-hmm. of possible uh, uh, usurpers. Just because that's also the kind of year it's been. If if it's not the Underground Railroad, Who then yeah. where do you go? It's I think All the Birds in the Sky by Charlie Jane yeah. Andrews was an awesome book. I could I could see that uh, winning as well. Any any surprise um, omissions oh. from the you list? Know- not for me. I I think I said in our wrap up um, at the end of 2016 that like I just did not find 2016 to be a year that had a lot of really exciting fiction, and so there, yeah. there's not much that uh, like if if Homegoing hadn't been on this list, I would have been like, really, what are you guys doing over there? Um, mm-hmm. But no, there there's nothing that I ended the year having read. I guess maybe I'm a little surprised that like. Uh, Emma Straub and Modern Lovers aren't on here because she just f- sort of fits right into the crowd yep. of readers that pay attention to the morning news. But her mm-hmm. previous, at least one of her previous books has been uh, included in the tournament. Yep. So there's some stuff going on there. They also note at the top of this that like there were books that they would have considered, except that the author, like there might be, a, there's a conflict of interest in some cases. So, like The Queen of the Night by Alexander Chi would have been on this list, if not right. for the fact that Alex uh, has written for the site numerous times, is close to the people who run the morning news. And so they just decided it wasn't appropriate uh, to, you know, put him in the finals. Which I think, I mean, I think is, it makes a certain degree of sense, but also seems unnecessary since the morning news yeah, people aren't judging it, um, this. It seems, I, it seems to me that that's a newer practice for. I, I don't like, remember having yeah, seen it before. Impressions in previous years have been like, well, okay, the only reason this book is on the short list is that these guys at the morning news who choose the short list are friends with this publisher. Mm. There have been a couple of there have been a couple of those where that was sort of my take on how certain titles got on the list in the first place. Um, so who knows? Yeah, I think it's that's interesting because right, they're not judging, and the Queen of the Night was one of the big, you know, popular novels. Um, at least. Right. Not not to say it had to yeah, be on here. I mean, you know, a good book, but it, it could easily have been on here. on this list, for sure. Yeah, it would have um, made It's sense. not a glaring absence, but it really would have made sense on the list. And yeah, I agree with you. I don't think that they needed to make that omission um, because their team is not judging it. They do have their team, uh, you know, Kevin Guilfoyle and John Warner do the commentary um, right, and so maybe they wanted to abstain from having to, you know, commentate on a judge's decision. I, yeah, I, I guess. But you know, but the other thing is, we know the world of books is so small <laughs> that it's only a matter of mm-hmm. degree. You know how much you have connection with one of these people or authors or yeah, publicists and, yeah, and or really whatever. It's not like, do I have connection or not? You're, you're right. It's degree of like, at what point right. does the connection become a conflict of interest? Because with the internet, the way that it is, like, if you write about books on the internet, you have had some touch point, most likely with the yeah. author of a book that you've loved. Right. You know, both these guys have met Colson yeah. Whitehead, for example. Like, you know, it just right. it just makes sense. Um, the one that usually they get the big selling literary fiction mm-hmm. title. And the one this year would have been The Nest. Oh. That's the only one I'm surprised yeah. not to see here. Interesting. I, I thought it would have been. And again, I'm not mm-hmm. getting bent out of shape that it's not. Or Richard um, Purdy would have been a good contender but, here, too, I think. Yeah, I mean, I think you can throw that. I mean, again, also a very good book, but you can throw that into, you know, uh, with uh, Behold the Dream. Like, there's a bunch of really mm-hmm. good books that didn't sort of rise out of the pack, but The Nest did. I mean, whether because of marketing or whatever, um, I think it's, you know, it's a, it is the best selling literary fiction title of the year. I think to year mm-hmm. to date for 2016, it sold more than Underground Railroad. So that usually they pick that one up, and it makes sense because. If, you know, 
that's part of yeah. the tournament is what the you know I think the goldfinch hadn't yet won which is the Pul- it's the Pulitzer right that's lags mm-hmm. a year um so oh like right cuz the sympathizer won the 2016 Pulitzer even though it came out in right. 2015 so it's not on this list that was the one I went to immediately mm-hmm. I was like why right, oh yeah. wait it was hosted in 2015 um, so I don't know. I got lost in my own. Oh, they, they usually do the, all the prize winners. If you won the National Book Award or the Pulitzer Prize, you're on the list for sure. But then the third sort of de facto auto entry is if you were the mm-hmm. big selling literary fiction title of the year. And for whatever reason, not here. So that those are the that's the one that I was surprised uh, not to see. Um, yeah, it, it's an interesting list. You know, I, we, we, I think when we started this, the first year, the second year, maybe the first two years, I, I've lost track now we would follow it sort of match by match and mm-hmm. i would do a big breakdown it was sort of my nc march madness of books which i kind of like i'm less interested in it now um this is probably the end i'll pay attention to it until there's a winner to be honest uh is a, twofold one is i think there's you know in this continuum of how we decide what the books of the year are you get basically either getting crowned by the new york times as 20 best sort of thing or you win a big huge award which are not uh, explicit, they're not transparent in how they're chosen. And then on the other side, you get the Goodreads Choice Awards, which is completely voted mm-hmm. upon, right, with all the quibbles, uh, misguided or not, I have about that. Um, and this is sort of a middle tier, right, which is neither fish nor fowl. It's neither crowned by an ed- you know a coherent editorial process, uh, as, as uh, cloaked as that editorial process might be, nor is it completely um, uh, democratic, like Goodreads. So then what is it? And then the other thing is, it's just literary fiction. I mean, it's literary fiction. And my taste once upon a time was heavily, even predominantly, even perhaps exclusively literary fiction. And that's just not the yeah. case anymore. Um, I, I, can't do a, I, can't, I can't be that interested in a term about the best books of the year, for example, that doesn't have Lab right. Girl in it. Yeah, just, yeah, just, uh, for, I understand that it's not the same genre, but I don't care. Like, so yeah, yeah, I don't care. Guys, like, right, yeah. It's their website. They can make the, the rules. Sure. No, it doesn't have to. I'm just talking about my <laughs> yeah, interest. Like, right. Like, like I yeah. I had the same feeling too, that it's so, it's so limiting to make the tournament for what are quote unquote, the best books of the year exclusive. Uh, I guess with the exception of all the birds in the sky on this list, really closely literary fiction. Um, yeah. it, it, it implies and is in in some ways an overt statement that these are the books that are worth paying attention to. Uh, and I am not on board with that. I think, you know, if it's fun, the tournament is really fun when the judges acknowledge fun. that what's happening here is personal taste and idiosyncrasy. And sometimes they're, because that's how we all, like, that's how all of us decide which yes. book, in the end, when you close the pages of a book, your conclusion about it is coming from you. And this, like this is this is real uh and when the judges acknowledge that and when we can see that in their decisions and sometimes it happens and it's great of like you know i was in this i was in a terrible mood and i had had a fight with my partner and then i was reading one of these novels that i was assigned and it was about people having fights and i just couldn't handle it and so i closed it and i moved on to this other thing and the other thing was going to win no matter what it was you know like sometimes they acknowledge mm-hmm those very human things that are parts of our reading process that go into the decisions. And I think that makes the tournament fun and it makes it feel human. And that's the thing that readers can connect to. It's when the, when you get the like 2000 word essay that pretends to be an objective pronouncement of which book is like de facto, not de facto. Now I'm, I'm losing my Latin terms, but which book is the better book that it becomes, mm-hmm. a thing that I just, you know, I think is much less interesting. That is much harder for readers to care about is the old, 
way of doing things and and that then you know people want to be able to talk about like well this book is good it won the tournament but like it's it's more interesting that the winner of the tournament is the one that has survived a bunch of people's idiosyncratic preferences and they don't talk about it yeah in that way um i find some of the commentary to be grading i wish that commentary didn't exist like in my my personal Mm. response to the tournament is like just let the judges make their statements about the judging, especially because often, or not often, but some often enough to make me uncomfortable. You'll have like a, a woman judging novels, making statements about, say, sexism within the novel. And then you have two guys commentating on the woman's mm. judgment about uh, how a, a woman character is presented. Or you've got these two white people commentating on a black woman's judgment about how race is depicted in a book. And it just... Um, it rings me. It, it rings the wrong bells for me sometimes. I I just would like yeah. to read the judges' nerdy idiosyncratic essays and leave it there. Yeah, I mean the thing that I mean, if you're interested in following it, um, I think that the way to approach it is arbitrary list, arbitrary yeah. judges. Yeah. Let's see what happens. You know that the that the happening is the interesting thing yeah, rather than the result it, or like what gets fed it into the system. Can become or and has been in the past, sort of like. <laughs> a weird cult of personality situation and Mm. uh there have been like very volatile arguments and insults hurled in the comments section of like we're talking about somebody the comments are a disaster and that's another thing that turned me off like i just can't we're talking about and like i guess in full disclosure i declined to be a judge a few years ago because of as uh, because of how um the community is not moderated uh or not moderated Mm. in a way that made me feel comfortable um so like it's i want to be like you guys it's just a book tournament on an internet website (laughs) like calm down yeah take it serious take it take it seriously but don't take it Mm -hmm. deadly seriously you don't need to be Uh, calling anybody names because they like wrote a judgment that you wouldn't have written between between yeah right 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 like it's gonna be fine you're gonna (laughs) it's it'll it's gonna be okay we better do a sponsor Um, jeff yeah, we just sponsor our next sponsor. Two days gone, so it's it's time for a, a thriller, a mystery and thriller. The the name of the book is Two Days Gone by Randall Silvis. Here here's what it's about. So, what could cause a man to suddenly snap and destroy everything he has built? This is the question that haunts Sergeant Ryan DeMarco after the wife and children of a beloved college professor and best-selling author are found slaughtered in their home. Uh, Huston himself has disappeared. That's the the professor, and so is immediately cast as the prime suspect. DeMarco knows or thinks he knows that Huston couldn't have been capable of murdering his family, but what if he's innocent, then why is on the run? And why does the half-finished manuscript he left behind contain clues to the mystery of the family's killer? So it's, it's got a literary bent to it. It's They're calling it literary suspense, which is you know a really great idea for a book, because book people like books about books, and they like mysteries or thrillers. Um, Silvis himself, the author, has been compared to Dennis Lehane, it's for thriller fans, but also for people who like contemporary crime stories. Uh, Randall himself uh, is a professor who teaches writing, and he mentored someone who became an FBI huh. agent. So he has this sort of built-in um, first reader, right? Did I get this right? Uh, and, you know, give him ideas. So that there's there, he has an, an in-house consultant for the ways the FBI and crime um, uh, units work. Um, so there's also a bunch of, for those of you who like the literary angle, there's a bunch of allusions to Edgar Allan Poe, which is interesting, that you can kind of follow through. 
alternating points of view between DeMarco and Huston. So you get the you get the suspect and the investigator who think they know each other, and this third sort of wild card of the manuscript of what's going on there. Um, also, they think it might be a fun book club play. There's a, a book club book club discussion guide included there. So it's available now. Two Days Gone by Randall Silvis, uh, a good winter whodunit with a little wrinkle, a little literary wrinkle um, added to the mix. So thanks to them for sponsoring the show. Okay. How about I tell let's you? Do, let, oh, go ahead. Say, yeah. What do we want to do? Some, something good. Oh, yeah. Something good. Tell me something yeah. good. Uh, okay. So we got a couple of good things this week. Uh, but the story that I was really you know, excited to learn about, I just didn't know this previously, is that the National Book Foundation has a plan to make book deserts not be a thing anymore. Uh, Lisa Lucas, new executive director of the National Book Foundation, has been like, I follow her on social media and I've seen her crisscrossing the country the last couple of months and now I understand yeah. uh, what she's been up to. So the National Book Foundation has partnered with the U.S. Departments of Education and Housing and Urban Development the Urban Libraries Council and the Campaign for Grade Level Reading to launch what they're calling the Book Rich Environment Initiative. Uh, they worked with publishers to secure donations. They now have more than a quarter of a million books that have been donated by Penguin Random House, Hachette, and Macmillan, above, uh, among others, um, that will be sent into communities that are underserved, that, uh, that are book deserts, that don't have libraries or bookstores or don't have enough to serve their communities. Uh, so to date, the NBF has given away 30,000 books to young people through a program called Book Up, which is an after-school reading program. But through this Book Rich Environment Initiative, they're going to expand to have given away over 300,000 books by the end of 2017 itself. Hmm. Uh, a really cool way to bring together uh to you know to use the resources that big publishers have um, and make books available in places where they're not available um, to get books into the hands of uh, the goal is eventually um, 4 million children and their families. Yeah. And, you know, we've talked about this before, I think either explicitly or obliquely about how bookstores especially um, exist in more affluent mm -hmm. neighborhoods and communities and zip codes. And that, you know, using as sometimes in, in the dark days of will bookselling exist at all, you know, you know, the Amazon eat everything, um, you know, making outcries about, you know, if independent bookstores go away, then, you know, there will be no reading culture, uh, which is hyperbole. But implicit in that is that if communities don't have an independent bookstore, then there is a crisis. And that's, I think, maybe what you know that's mm -hmm. what you see here right is that these, it's not that independent bookstores necessarily are the harbingers of literary culture but demographics and resources and access is about literary culture um and reading culture and so you know this is basically kind of like the berlin airlift yeah. for books where you have these locations that don't have access to the needed supplies um and we're trying to they're trying to get them there uh, much like um jetblue was doing with their vending machine yeah, program it's like how that. can we figure out ways to 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 make um to to bring water to these deserts, uh, so to speak. I'm glad to see uh, Penguin Random House is leading the way of the quarter million. That's two hundred thousand mm -hmm. from PRH. Um, so good on them. Good on Lisa. Good on everyone involved. Lisa, a friend of the site, she was on Reading Lives um, before, um, and really making some stuff happen 
uh, here. So that is a, is a feel good, not not just a feel good story. This is an actual yeah, good, an actual, an actual you know, good, and an we actual have talked good. about the studies in the past that show that kids who have who grow up in homes that have books in them have better outcomes yeah. on all sorts of you know lifestyle and happiness and success and education measurements than kids who don't have books in their homes, even after you control for all those other factors like education and income. And um, the presence of books in the home makes a difference, and uh, getting books into the community is the you know is the first step there and it's critical uh, and to see you know different governmental organizations working together with community organizations and literary uh, groups and publishers is like that's the kind of partnership that it takes to make something like this possible and I'm really happy to see that it's being done uh, tips and tricks speaking of uh, libraries and everything um, I th- this is this is an extension that's a Chrome extension for your browser it's been out for a while. A life hacker picked it up again, and then Amanda linked to it, and it got a it got a bunch of uh, attention from us and other people. You go to libraryextension.com, and if you use Chrome on your desktop or would like to, what this extension does is it adds a bar on the right hand side of your uh, browser when you're on Amazon, telling you if your library has the book you're browsing or not, which is very cool, right? Like it's a it's it's a bolt on to help you understand and see and you know make a choice about where you want to get your book. You know, use Amazon's it has to be said uh, unparalleled catalog of books, um, and yet not have to source it from there and make it really easy to flop over to your library webpage. You know, you you put in your library system, and it will automatically pull uh, query those library systems to see. If there are copies, how many are copies? And then there's links right there to borrow, place a hold, so on and so forth. If you're logged into your library website, make it super easy to do. Um, I installed it again myself. Mm-hmm. Both you and I um, have been, I don't know, re- converted, reconverted to the many pleasures and wonders of the public library system. And this is a really good way to help me remember that when I'm you know, looking for books, like I can just place yep. a hold right there. I can buy it on Amazon or other places if I want to. But it really adds some functionality because I sometimes there is a friction when I find out about a book or I think about a book. I got to go to the library website and I got to log on and blah, blah, blah. And sometimes it's enough for me not to, to keep from buying the book, but then for that book to fly away into the ether. Right. Like, right? like just sort of fly would away. If deliver them to my house, it would be perfect. Yes. This is one step short of, and actually, some places do deliver. I we have to, we'll have to do, I'll have to do some research on that. Some libraries do do delivery. Um, that that's also kind of shockingly yeah. amazing. Um, but anyway, if if you're a library user, or and this would make it easier, or if you want, you know, maybe one of your resolutions. I, actually, we saw someone on Twitter tag us saying that one of their New Year's resolutions was to make use of their local mm. library more, um, which I think is a good one because I think as we talked about before. Using your library, like usage stats is one thing that helps libraries get funding and get more and more funds. So just, you know, checking books out, even if you don't read them, like, okay, fine, you don't read them. But, you know, that's not, uh, that's not a waste of the library's resources. In fact, it really helps them that people are trying to use it, wanting to use it. They don't know. Um, so make use of your local library. This is one way that gets some of the friction down is right alongside the information you're looking for there. It's not available on mobile, sadly. Um, and only available, so really only desktop on Chrome it says Firefox is coming soon. Um, but it works. I, 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 re, I installed it this morning and it, it's nice. very simple to do. It uh, makes, takes about 90 seconds to get in there. Should we do best selling print and books? Should we do yeah. Amazon stuff? Where do you want to yeah, go let's next? Do, uh, let's see. We got what a couple minutes left. Let's do Amazon stuff. We yeah. have to do our last sponsor and then we will end on a moment of delight. Yeah. Okay. So let's do, let's do uh, best selling print 
and ebooks from Amazon uh, over the last year. Um, I never know what to do with these best-selling lists <laughs> from Amazon. I mean, it's it is what you'd expect. Um, print bestsellers, Harry Potter and the Cursed Child, and by a I mean four and a yeah. half million. Uh, is this Amazon? Yes. Yeah, a print print book, and then Amazon Kindle. Mm-hmm. So the print is from Bookscan, and then Kindle is just Amazon. So take okay. that for what you will. Harry Potter and the Cursed Child, number one, four and a half million units, just shy. Well, and wow. so that Bookscan print number is not including however many copies of it of that book sold in print through Amazon. Right, because Amazon right. doesn't report to Bookscan, which is the biggest ding on right. Bookscan, right? Like that's the single largest demerit in the uh, accuracy because the book scan is precise right, without so being accurate. For... Yeah, one of my favorite <laughs> distinctions. It's I'm going to make you a new coffee mug. Um, right. Yeah, it's four and a half million copies, not counting what it's mm. sold from Amazon, which is it's just a huge. And not counting digital. That's bonkers. Right. And the next one is um, Double Down Diary of a Wimpy Kid number eleven by Jeff Kinney at one point one million. So you know, four. Quadded up. Harry Potter quadded up the next big one. Killing the Rising Sun by Bill O'Reilly, uh, one, also just under one point, uh, just over 1.1. 1. 1. Girl on the Train, Keep a yep. Rollin', Paula Hawkins, um, 954,000. A Man Called Ove by Frederick Bachman. Talk about the mm-hmm. sleeper hit, man. But from Washington Square, it's, in trans- it's a translated novel, I think. Uh, I think yeah, I think that's this, right. I could I be wrong that about that. The- like it, this was this year's Nightingale. Like it was every book club read it. Yes, yeah, uh, seven hundred thousand. Miss Peregrine's Home for Peculiar Children by Ransom Riggs from Quirk, um, a longtime bestseller. But also there was a movie last year really jumped the charts. The Whistler was is John Grisham's latest. Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them um, by um, Madame J.K. herself, uh, six hundred fifty nine thousand. That's that's a number I thought would be mm-hmm. much higher. Double. I was expecting double that, but I guess the movie came out. Mm-hmm. Blah blah blah. Um, but that puts her over 5 million print for the year. And then all the Harry Potters, which also sell in the hundreds of thousands, but don't make the top 10. Life-Changing Magic of Tidying Up Will Not Go surprised. Away by Marie Kondo, 638,000. And then the surprise, The Magnolia yeah. Story by Gaines Yeah, Chip and, and Joanna Gaines, who host Fixer Upper on, I think, HGTV. Um, the Kindle bestsellers, we don't get any numbers around surprise surprise <laughs> because it's amazon so just a girl on the train paula hawkins the girl in the ice which is book tour which i believe is a self-publishing mm-hmm. outfit i think harry potter the nightingale boy that book still selling digitally sisters one two three by nancy star that's from lake union which is an amazon imprint i'm saying that just because that matters because they do a lot of internal yeah. promotion on kindle me before you by jojo moyes from penguin Walk into Silence by Susan McBride. That's Thomas and Mercer, which is interesting. Um, a Man Called Ove, The Whistler, and then Follow You Home by Mark Edwards, which is Mark Thomas and Mercer. Yes. That's also a Amazon yeah. imprint, right? So one, three. two, three, Amazon imprints pub- plus mm-hmm. a self-pub on Kindle. It interesting. Is. Interesting to see there. Uh, any surprises? I can't believe that the life-changing magic of tidying up is like still holding yeah. on because we're so already deep into making fun of it mm-hmm. and parodying it and uh, yes. that I'm surprised that it's that it's holding on. Like there are jokes about it in Gilmore Girls this year. It's it's that far yeah, into right. yeah, 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 yeah. that deeply into pop culture so thoroughly that I'm really surprised it's continued to sell that much and, in 2015. And serial ser- comic self-help right. parodies right. as well. Um, which is interesting. Yeah. Did a man called Ove come out this uh, year? That's a good question. 
I can't remember. Uh, let me. Uh, to the or to come. Uh, we can, to the Google machine. Yeah, I'm not. My, I have a new clacky keyboard, which literally sounds like machine gun fire. So I'm not going to uh, type yeah, into no, it right it now. It looks like the hardcover came out in 2014, and the yeah. And see, the that's what I thought. Was 2015. So it's like uh, somebody must have. It's in the girl on the train. Yeah, it's, you know, it's the caboose, but it's, it's on that track. It's a slow burn, but um, the, the, all the people yeah. who have talked to me about having read A Man Called Ove did so in the context of their book club. So that's my anecdotal, like, this is how this book is becoming mm, big guess. <laughs> interesting. Yeah. I mean, again, like, so there are literary fiction adult titles, but they are, you know, it's it's a long tail of yeah. the backlist. You know, Girl on the Train, A Man Called uh, Ove. You know, we don't get the nest. We mm-hmm. don't get underground railroad. Like all the critical, like nothing on the term of books list. And I guess that's another part of the the the, the I don't know disjunction between critical yeah. taste and even like literary, you know, the booknet taste and what actually sells. Because none of these books really got talked about. I mean, we talked about Harry Potter and the Cursed Child mm-hmm. on the sh- on the site quite a bit. Um, we had Jackson on to do a special version of this. But no one's doing a five books to read if you love the man called Ove, though probably yeah, they should right. be. I mean, that's, uh, you know, we're not doing that. No one else, as far as I can tell, is doing that. And the term of books well, certainly yeah. isn't. And it's and not making 20 best books right, of whatever We had it last list. year with The Nightingale, where we were both so puzzled yeah. by where this book had come from. And we went to... The Orphan Train, yeah. you know, and that's we another one that sold a billion copies. And we're like, did anybody read The Nightingale? And out of our more than 100 people, I think like two or three yeah. said that... They had, and so even yeah. Oh yeah, well, we have we have the same right. blind spots. Yeah. I I meant to throw right. myself into that um that pot that bucket of uh, obliviousness. <laughs> Show um, title. Anyway, so those are the best selling titles. Let's do our. Sp- I mean, and the the self help stuff has been huge, and this is the time of year for it. PH Audio is back um, to talk about their own. You know, self help is great on audio because you can do it. You can you can work on as you're doing other things. So. Not a lot of us like sit down intentionally like, let's pour up a cup of coffee and work on some self-help. That doesn't like how we think about books. But one thing I've done, like the, the Busman's MBA, which I also is a serial comic thing, like that's a self-help situation. And it's been a huge thing for me to be able to do it on audio um, because it gives me a chance to do it while I'm doing other things. So it feels like I'm like multitasking, mm-hmm. right? Like I'm cleaning the dishes and I'm making myself better. Look how Mary Poppins <laughs> I am doing it all at the same time. Um, so, you know, start off the new year with some inspiring audiobooks from personal improvement to spiritual listens to health and fitness advice. Audiobooks are a great way to get this stuff uh, into your brain while on the go. You can go to penguinrandomhouseaudio.com slash self-care for listening suggestions, which I think is nice. Um, Couple of things they got. I'm going to read this book, Books for Living by Will. Schwab? Can't say his last name. I think it's Schwalbe. Schwalb, S C H W A L B E. I really should look this up, but it goes right against, out of my head uh, the moment um, I'm off the show. Also, The Case Against Sugar. Um, I read an article in the Times that's an excerpt. I don't know if it's an excerpt or just an op ed by this guy talking about like sugar may be way worse for you than everyone sort of thinks. It's not all calories may not be the same. Um, and sort of a history, it also includes the history of like the sugar industry, but also the FDA, like trying to figure out like, is sugar bad for you? It's not as good for you as like, say, a celery, right? But is it worse for you than bacon? Like, this is a thing. And it kind of goes back and forth getting ping ponged around, like don't eat fat, mm-hmm. don't eat carbs, don't eat whatever. But this is actually looking at sugar itself. Um, and, you know, the increase in sugar that's in the food we eat, really interesting stuff. I think it's one of those things where it's kind of a micro history and self-help wrapped up into one, which is a really good way mm-hmm. to get me to eat self-help, <laughs> actually. You know, the, 
Spoonful yeah, of Sugar, I guess, the, uh, weirdly, is the Mary the, Poppins like The other um, title that uh, they include again. here is The Power of Meaning by Emily Esfahani Smith, which is a mix mm-hmm. of social science and self-help, which is the way to get me to read yes. self-help. Uh, and right. it's about how uh, we chase after happiness as the thing that we think will define our lives and make us feel like we have a rich and satisfying life. But there's an increasing body of uh, research to indicate that actually feeling that our life has meaning and matters in some way uh, contributes to the world is the thing that uh, that is, yeah. is, a, is more easily achieved than chasing after happiness, but it also has deeper and longer lasting uh, consequences for the way that we feel about uh, about our lives. And it, I'm reading it now and it has stuff from psychology and sociology and philosophy, but it also draws on uh, like Buddhist principles and mindfulness principles. And for me, it's dovetailing really nice with a yoga practice. Um, so I think you know, we, we've talked about thinking mindfulness is going to be one of the big things that publishers are into this year. Mm-hmm. Um, the power of meaning is a, a good start. I'm reading it, but um, I think it would probably be great on audio. All right. Tell us about our delightful, oh, thanks for PH, PRH audio. Um, for sponsoring the show. Uh, tell us about our feel-good story ready? of the week. It's I'm ready. A, no surprise it comes via no Carla Hayden kidding. at the Library of Congress. No it's surprise. Like feel-goodness, feel-good story. Uh, <clears throat> yes. So there's a little girl named Delia Marie Arana. She's four years old. She's from Gainesville, Georgia. Uh, when she was young, very young, her parents started, uh, her parents have always read out loud in the house and her older brothers were reading chapters out loud. Um, but by the time that she was 18 months old, she was recognizing the words in books that her mother read to her and she was wanting to take over and do the reading on her own. And uh, when she was just under three years old, which is like the age at which most children start to understand that text can carry some kind of meaning, she mm-hmm. read a book on her own for the first time. Now she's four years old, so like just over a year later, she has read more than a thousand books, including some college-level texts. Um, Her parents encourage this and are uh, stoked by it because of course uh, and wanted to celebrate it so her mom shot video of it and sent it uh, shot video of her reading and sent it to the Library of Congress where Carla Hayden all hail uh, invited four-year-old Dahlia to be librarian for a day. Mm-hmm. And you can read this story in the Washington Post, and you can watch the video of Dahlia reading her first book, but you can see her in her little pink dress with her little pink bow in her hair and her little pink glasses <laughs> sitting at Carla Hayden's Librarian of Congress desk, and it is just life-giving. Really awesome. And they got inspired, her parents got inspired through the 1,000 Books Before Kindergarten program. Um, which is worth, you know, I think if you have young mm-hmm. kids worth looking about, um, you read, you know, try to read a thousand books to your kid before they get to kindergarten. So before they're about five. Sounds like a lot. And it is a lot. But, you know, it's 200 books a year from the time they're born. So it's a few a week, you know, four a week. And a lot of kids books. So it's one of those things like it's, it's an aggressive goal, but it's an achievable. Mm-hmm. But it's one that really does take daily and weekly and monthly, you know, uh, attention. And I guess now mindfulness is stuck <laughs> in my head. Uh, you know, but it, it, it's a kind of thing that it encourages yeah. that stick to grit about let's, you know, it's tired, it's the end of a long day, but let's put in a couple books. You know, we can read a couple before bed. Yeah, very um, cool. And really, and I think if you read two or three, if you do two or three with your kid every day before bed, you get yeah. there. 
So it's it's one of those deals. Yeah, it's it's, really, it's a practice, like going yeah, to the gym it's really, or something. Else it's like really that. remarkable, and I think it has to be said out loud and celebrated. Also, that this is extra cool to see uh, because Carla Hayden was the first woman and the first Black person to hold yes. this position of Librarian of Congress, and Dahlia is a Black little girl. Um, and so to see mm-hmm. that, like, not only is this a remarkable kid, period, who's read all these books and gets to go have her day as librarian for a day, uh, but she gets to see the person in this amazing position, getting to be the librarian of Congress and see that this woman looks like her uh, and that this is a possibility for her. Uh, If she wants to grow up and do it, this is an option for her. Uh, Black women can do this job and can have it. Uh, And I found that so like, I needed a moment of joy about what's possible Mm -hmm. in the world and in the country this week. And this was it for me. I wonder where Carla Hayden falls on the chain of succession. I'm just I'm just putting it out. I don't know. I'm just I just this time I'm thinking about it late for no reason. Someone put really. her and Joe Biden in a very safe place for me, please. Yeah, I, I mean, it also goes to show that the Librarian of Congress like has a chance to be the national advocate for mm-hmm. books and reading. And uh, to my knowledge, to this point, publicly, I haven't. You know, I didn't see stories like we pay attention to stories like this. This is not something we saw coming out of the Library of Congress. Yeah, or the last 10, I couldn't 15, tell you what the name years. of the previous Librarian of Congress was. Yeah. So anyway, um, well done, um, Madam Librarian. Um, well done. Uh, all the way around here. That's our show this week. You can find the show notes to this and other episodes of the Book Riot podcast at bookriot.com slash listen. Also, new going to do this week, in the description of the show that shows up on your podcatcher that has, you know, what it's about and then the links to our sponsors, I'm going to link directly to the full show notes. There's an idea that one of the listeners, I think, to all the mm-hmm. books had that we said, why haven't we been doing this? There's a little bit of trickiness because I have to publish the thing and then get the thing to get the thing. So like the first 30 minutes will be published, it'll be a little bit wonky because I need to have the link to the show to do the post, you know, to do the post on the site. Anyway, it doesn't matter except if, if you're immediately downloading and it doesn't work immediately, give it a second. But this way you can go right to, you don't have to remember to type it in, anything else like that. Now, thanks to our sponsors, go check them out. Uh, Madison Reed, Third Love, Two Days Gone, and PRHA, P-R-H-A, which is PRH Audio, um, links to the show notes there. You can also click and find out about more right there in the show notes in your description. Um, and that's a great, that's our show. We'll be back next yeah, week. have a good one.